I'm Dr. Sterling. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and mom. Welcome to the Becoming Moms podcast, where I give you the step-by-step to optimizing your physical and emotional wellness in pregnancy so you can create a nourishing environment for your baby, your family, and yourself. The information shared in this podcast is intended for general education purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or another qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard in this podcast. All right, lovelies, let's dive in to this week's episode. Welcome to the self-care episode. I am so glad that you are here. In this installment of Becoming Moms, we are going to talk about why self-care is important beyond the obvious and the elements of a good self-care routine for pregnancy. So let's start off by talking about why self-care is important. I know self-care has become really a big buzzword, right? And everybody's talking about how great self-care is and how important it is, but sometimes we forget to talk about why. What is the why behind self-care? So let's get some of the obvious stuff out of the way. To begin with, we we know that self-care is important because you can't run on empty, right? You need to uh, replenish your tank. And the way that we do that is self-care. Now you may call it something different, but when I say self-care, I'm talking about the things that you do to replenish yourself. And that is the, the like the most basic kind of simple definition uh, of what it is. So you can't run on empty. You need to engage in some activities, spend your time doing some things that renew your energy and that fulfill you. If you are wondering kind of how to get out of the vicious cycle of never having enough time for self-care and then getting drained and then not, you know, not feeling like you can get out of this, this cycle of not having enough time and energy to do those things that replenish you. And you haven't listened to the last episode. I highly recommend you go back and listen to that episode. We talk about really what we do when we have limited time and energy in pregnancy and how we stay out of the exhaustion funnel. So that's a great episode if you feel like you're in this constant cycle of um, not having enough time to take care of yourself. Okay. So that's the obvious stuff. Now let's talk about something that you you may or may not know about. If you're, uh, you know, uh, been listening to this podcast for a bit, you may be aware that uh, stress can impact your health outcomes, both in and out of pregnancy. And in pregnancy, we know that stress can also impact um, health outcomes for our baby, both in the, you know, immediate pregnancy sense and in the long-term sense. So self-care, especially when we engage in some of the the evidence-based self-care strategies that we're going to talk about in this episode, self-care can really reduce and process stress. And I think that's one of the most important roles that self-care plays in our lives. Yes, I love self-care for pleasure and enjoyment and really bringing some spark to your life, right? Um, But in addition, it's really important to help us reduce and process stress. Now, the other reason why I believe that self-care is so important in pregnancy, beyond that you need it to function properly, beyond the fact that it's going to help you reduce your stress and improve your pregnancy outcomes, I also think that it becomes much harder 
when a baby arrives and when you become a parent to really establish a great self-care routine. And even more difficult than that is establish the mindset that it takes. You you have to change your mind before you're going to change your behavior. And if you're someone who, like me, many years ago, was had the habit and the behavior of putting the things, the, the, the taking care of myself things at the bottom of the list so that I was able to get the quote unquote important things done, you know, the work, the achievement, um, striving for the success. If you are someone who has those tendencies and habits, well, we need to start addressing the mindset that goes with that, the beliefs and the messages that go with that as soon as possible, because Parenthood only adds more toxicity to that equation, okay? Um, the the ideas of of what a um, a good woman should do are, you know, extensive and can be really toxic. The ideas about what makes a good mom and you know, the the pressures to uh, for perfection in motherhood are even more toxic. So, I really want to talk about and and emphasize self-care and pregnancy because I believe it is so important, um, not just for pregnancy, but for our parenting experience too. Okay. So those are my three main reasons why self-care is important in pregnancy. Let's move on to talking about what makes a good self-care routine. So what most of us, especially those of us who are in the millennial or millennial adjacent um, generation are used to is we are used to kind of pushing, 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 burning out, then take making, you know, doing some self-care remedy. It's a vicious cycle that we've gotten ourselves into. It's something that started for us, you know, often for many of us in childhood. Okay. And hopefully our kids will not get into this, you know, get into the rat race and this hamster wheel of just pushing ourselves too hard. Um, but we, ha- we grew up with a lot of messages about, you know, hard work and achievement. And um, yeah, so we are we are living those messages out in our everyday lives. And we are pushing ourselves, we're powering through, we're pushing ourselves beyond our um, capacity. We're treating ourselves like we're unlimited resources and we are very much limited resources, okay? So a self, self-care to be effective really needs to be something that is done regularly and proactively to some degree, okay? Because self-care and response to exhaustion and stress is never going to be, it's never going to work as well as self-care that's done regularly and proactively. So how we come up with a good self-care routine is an experiment and it's trial and error, Okay. It does not need to be complicated and you do not need, you know, uh, to do a bunch of research on the best ways to do it. We're going to talk about some areas that you can focus your time in, in terms of self-care for that have some evidence behind them. And I think that's great to at least employ some of the evidence-based strategies for self-care. But at the end of the day, self-care is for you. And so the place to start figuring out what do I want to incorporate in a regular self-care routine, the place to start is asking yourself, okay? And, you know, we so frequently are constantly looking for answers outside of ourselves that just the simple act of asking, what do I need? What do I need on a regular basis to stay you know, more energized to say fulfilled, that is an act of self-care. 
asking ourselves. So I encourage you to take some time today or tomorrow and ask yourself, what do I need on a regular basis to take care of myself? And it's going to be different for everybody. You know, I know that journaling is really important to me. Um, Meditating is important to me. Exercising is important to me. And I know that I have empirical (laughs) data that when I don't do those things, I do not cope as well with the stress in my life. My life isn't as enjoyable. I'm less present and it's just harder. Life is harder. And so what that is for you uh, may be very different. Okay. It may be, um, you know, alone time. My husband is someone who needs alone time to, to, be with his hobbies. He's somebody who gets really into hobbies and that's really important for him for self-care. And I I need alone time, but it's not as much of a priority. So starting out, just asking yourself, what do I need on a regular basis to take care of myself? What feels good to me is a really great way to um, establish this regular self-care routine. Now I want to talk a little bit about, we're talking about using self-care to manage our stress, I want to talk a little bit about using it to prevent some buildup of stress. And the way that we do this is we have to be a little bit more proactive. We have to look into the future a little bit more. We have to understand what things really drain us and stress us out. You know, a lot of the stress that comes into our life isn't going to announce itself. Like we're not going to know that, okay, next week is going to be really stressful. And then it is. But there are some things that happen in our life that we can anticipate that's going to be a lot for me. I talked about this in in last week's episode as well, when we talked about the exhaustion funnel. And we talked about, you know, knowing yourself and knowing what you need um, in times of stress. So if you know that you're going to have some stress coming up, perhaps you know, you have some people visiting, um, you're spending time with a, a family member who's difficult for you, knowing that you're going to have to ramp up some t- some degree of your self-care, right, to counteract that. So a good self-care routine involves regular, uh, a, a regular routine. It also involves some proactive looking into the future and trying to plan your self-care accordingly. Those elements are really important. Now, as promised, I want to talk about some of the self-care activities that have some really good evidence behind them. And it's not that these are the only activities you can engage in, okay? I'm not going to, you know, what's not going to be on this list is getting your nails done or you know, a skincare routine. Those things aren't going to be on this list. Not that they are not beneficial to perhaps even the majority of people, but they're not something that's been studied and that we have evidence um, about. And I'm all about doing things that we have data, we have research to support that it's really going to be beneficial to you. So the one I'm sure that, you know, we you hear this all the time. The, the first thing is exercise. And depending on where you are in your life and your pregnancy journey, th- that's going to look really different. Okay. In pregnancy, we know that 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic uh, exercise is going to improve pregnancy outcomes. So that's fantastic. Not everybody in pregnancy can do that. There are certainly medical conditions that completely preclude you from engaging in that kind of um, activity. Um, and there's certainly, you know, some pregnancy symptoms that really, even if it's not a contraindication and you're, you know, 
OB provider isn't telling you you can't, they really limit it. I have a very difficult time exercising um, in early pregnancy. And it's not until really my mid-second trimester that I have the energy to really be able to do that. It's interesting. When I am not pregnant, exercise, even when I'm tired, really energizing for me. And I love that about exercise. In pregnancy, when I'm really exhausted, exercise doesn't energize me. And that, that may be different for you. I've certainly heard that from other people, but I just have a different relationship with exercise when I'm pregnant. So exercise has, of course, all of the health benefits you can talk about. I mean, you know, cardiovascular health, a lower risk of, you know, um, of overall mortality. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal, right? We all know this. We also know that exercise has really great mental health benefits. And the human body was really built to be active. And our modern lives have taken a lot of the opportunities for exercise out. Um, We don't need to harvest our food and do all of that. But that really was how our, our body was meant to exist in this world. And so, you know, just the act of, of moving your body can be really helpful for your, your stress. Just moving your body, getting your heart rate up can really reduce the impact of stress on you. So exercise as myself and literally everyone would tell you, it's an immense amount of benefits. And what that looks like for you, I think it's really great to try to combine exercise with um, some of the other uh, self-care strategies I'm going to, to talk about. Um, you don't just have to exercise and just hit the exercise, you know, check the exercise box, you know. We're also going to talk about relationships and how important that is um, for us to to put energy into. So some we can combine, you know, exercise with Uh, building and maintaining our relationships. So we can exercise with other people. We can exercise in a way that, you know, is fun for us and we look forward to. We can exercise in nature. You know, a lot of data that being in nature is really beneficial for our health, um, both physical um, and emotional and our mental health. So there's a lot of ways we can really maximize that self-care time by not just doing, you know, not just getting on the treadmill by ourselves, but also engaging with other people. And, you know, there are all these platforms now that allow you to, that have some social component of it. You know, um, I'm a Peloton rider and you can do Peloton rides with other people. I, I personally have not done that, but that sounds like a lot of fun. I should do that. Right. So there's a lot of ways that you can, can hit two of these, um, evidence-based, uh, self-care strategies, um, at once. Okay. So we talked about exercise and I want to talk about mindfulness. Now, this is the one that, you know, um, I feel like I'm always selling and, you know, meditation and mindfulness, you know, mindfulness is a is a a type of meditation. I feel like I'm always talking about meditation. I don't know if it's just going in your ear and out the other, but I really just if I can just convince some of you to just give it a try. I mean, that is a that would be a huge life accomplishment for me because it is one of if not the most important practices that i have that i that i do as part of my everyday life and and i can say i i can push you know mindfulness and meditation like i've got stock in it because um it's not just my experience it is the experience of so many individuals that i've heard anecdotally and then the data is just phenomenal y'all if this if mindfulness was a drug and we had the data that we do on mindfulness, 
every it, everybody would be on this drug, okay? And obviously, it's way easier to pop a pill than it is to engage in a, a mindfulness or a, a meditation practice. But you know what we see is um, some of the benefits that people don't know about meditation are uh, that it improves uh, relationship satisfaction, it, re- it improves parenting satisfaction. Um, it decreases overall mortality. And we see people with, who have a regular mindfulness practice or meditation practice are less likely to get cancer. Phenomenal, right? It lowers blood pressure, improves overall health. It is just, uh, it's a treatment. Uh, mindfulness can be used as a treatment for anxiety and depression. In fact, some, some studies show that it is as effective as medication, okay? And there's, you know, uh, a lot of the medications for anxiety and depression have side effects that people do not like. So the side effects of mindfulness are all beneficial. <laughs> you know, it's a time, it's definitely a time commitment. I think that's why it gets pushed down on the list and and people don't do it. I think the other reason why people don't engage in a, a meditation or mindfulness practice is they have this idea of, of a meditator and, and who it's for. And it's really like somebody who is very serene and calm and peaceful at baseline and um, is really good at, at clearing up their thoughts. And, you know, you just see the incense and the candle burning and you're like, oh, I don't really see myself in that practice. And what I want to, to tell you is that that is that is not what meditation is about. Pregnancy can be really hard. On top of all the physical stuff, there's the emotional impact of not feeling well and not feeling at home in your body for months on end. If you are having a tough time in pregnancy, you are not alone. I have so been there and I want to help you. Head over to thebestpregnancyclass.com to register for my free class, Four Ways to Make Your Pregnancy Easier and Healthier. This class is all about taking some of the stress and overwhelm off your plate. Head over to thebestpregnancyclass.com and pick a time to watch the class from the comfort of your own home. You deserve support, Mama. Meditation is really, really great for people with like the busiest of brains. Okay. Busy. Um, sometimes, <laughs> uh, you know, those brains that, that, um, have a lot of negative thoughts and are, that are, you know, seem to have a mind of their own. Like it's those busy brains that work really well with meditation. And here's why meditation isn't supposed to necessarily feel good while you're doing it. The benefits of meditation are not really felt in the meditation practice. Certainly, have I had meditation experiences where it felt really good while I was meditating? Sure. But more common than that is a meditation practice where I'm like, oh my gosh, I was like, I wandered off. My brain wandered off so many times. That that experience of sitting down to meditate and being constantly distracted, that is actually when mindfulness is most useful because meditation and mindfulness is really about bringing yourself back to a singular focus of some kind. And mindfulness, um, it's just about really 
your focus is what's going on with you at the current moment or, you know, what, what you feel. There's different forms of mindfulness meditation, but what you feel in your body or the thoughts that pop into your, into your head, you know, you're just being, you're, it's just an awareness of what is happening in the current moment. And there's, then there's things like mantra meditations where you say a single mantra over. And so you're just bringing your attention back to this singular focus. So the times in which you are really distracted, well, that's, you've been doing a lot of reps then of letting, you know, your mind gets distracted. You bring it back to your focus. It gets distracted again. You bring it back to your focus. Each one of those is a repetition of a neural circuit that is strengthening your ability to kind of quiet the background noise and pay attention to one thing. Um, and mindfulness, that's that's typically like the, the present moment of, of what's actually happening right now. Um, and so it's not meant to, you can't, you can't be bad at meditation. You can have a busy brain, but that doesn't mean that your meditation is bad. And there are people like myself who've been meditating a very long time and still have meditation sessions where it's like, oh my gosh, I don't, I was so distracted the whole time. And as long as you, you know, you don't judge your meditation session, because again, not meant to really feel the benefits while meditating. It's all that what happens afterwards during the day when you are more aware of the fact that you've gone off into this, like, you know, you're thinking about getting anxious about the future, getting anxious about the past. You have strengthened the circuit of getting yourself out of the weeds in your brain and bringing yourself back to the present moment. So I love meditation and mindfulness practice. Mindfulness practices have a lot of really good data um, behind them, which is why they're the type of meditation that I talk about more frequently. And that's why that inside the sterlingparents.com membership, which we we have for people who are moving through the reproductive journey and, and building their families, uh, we have a 12-week mindfulness program that is based um, on a cognitive um uh, a, a cognitive behavioral mindfulness program that is that is used um, in many institutions to treat anxiety and depression. So I am a big believer that incorporating some kind of um, mindfulness into your life, you can do mindfulness practices. And again, you can do them during exercise. You can do mindfulness exercises with your children. One of my favorite kind of meditation mindfulness practices is getting on the ground with my kids, setting a timer for like 15 or 20 minutes, and then bringing myself back to the present moment and really noticing the emotions that I feel, the thoughts that come up while I'm watching my kids play and, and, and engage with them. So you can, you can meditate while doing other things too. Okay. All right. Moving on to um, the third evidence-based self-care activity that we all want to incorporate to some degree in our lives is our relationships. So we have wonderful data that shows that um, having um, deep, intimate relationships with other human beings is incredibly necessary and beneficial for our health. It is, you know, it is really remarkable the difference that it makes when between somebody who is robust support systems in their life and somebody who's lonely and does not have um, support systems. When we look at these, we can look at basically the exact same numbers, the exact same age and, and weight and medical problems and whatever. And these two people are going to have very different lives and very different health outcomes. So um, pouring ourselves into 
relationships that really feed us and fulfill us. There's a lot of relationships out there that are very draining. What I'm talking about is putting, spending time and energy on the relationships that don't drain us, but, but fulfill us. And it's a really great, it's really great to look at a week and, and ask yourself, okay, where am I getting my people time? Where am I getting time um, with other human beings that um, really fill me up? It's, it's, you know, during this pandemic, we have really, our mental health has really suffered. And of course, part of this is that our relationships are strained. I know that there are people that I, you know, used to have a relationship with, maybe not my, they weren't my closest friends because I've been able to maintain the relationships with my closest friends, but they were people that I, I, I texted and I chatted with and we'd see, see around places. And I have just in the last two years have completely lost touch with these people. I don't know what they're doing in their lives. And, you know, that there's, there's something that this isolation that we're all experiencing is definitely, it definitely impacts us on multiple levels. So, you know, a pandemic has really put a damper on uh, this self-care activity for me. One of the ways that I really love to gather with friends is for me to entertain. I love entertaining. I love having people over to our place and, you know, just it's, it's something that really fulfills me and I have not really been able to do that. And so um, it's about instead of doing the big elaborate um, parties that I've loved to throw, it's about planning, you know, more smaller, intimate uh, encounters and, you know, making plans with individuals. So, but yeah, we're, it's definitely still, I'm a work in progress with maintaining those relationships too, because we just, for so long, it wasn't even an option, right? Okay. So moving on from relationships, the final evidence-based self-care activity that I want to talk about is sleep. People oftentimes just completely forget that sleep is like, it's literally the OG original self-care activity. We talk about self-care activity as something that renews you and um, gives you energy. Well, I mean, obviously sleep is is the thing that we all have. Sleep deprivation kills us, okay? You can actually die from sleep deprivation in very acute, you know, settings that hopefully none of you ever find yourselves in. Um, But over time, it really um, can harm your health. People who work night shifts, like my husband, have lower expectancy, uh, lower life expectancy. Um, It's not good to be sleep deprived, okay? We know that. Um, couples that are sleep deprived have a mu- have much much higher divorce rates than couples that who who don't. So if you already have kids, you know what sleep deprivation feels like. We're not our we're not our best. We it is very difficult to communicate with other people when you're sleep deprived. I mean, like it is. <laughs> I, I am a patient person most of the time. I am not patient when I'm sleep deprived. So um, if you already have kids, you know this. You know that. Uh, sleep is going to impact um, your relationships. It's going to impact your ability to cope with everything. It's just really, really, really necessary. If you don't um, have kids yet, you might not have experienced sleep deprivation to the same degree. I would have thought that I knew a bit about sleep deprivation, having worked 80 hours a week um, through my training and doing 30 hour calls all the time. It just, it's a little bit different when you have when you are either pregnant or you have kids, because 
there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Like I could go home after a 30 hour call and go to sleep. And I knew that that next night, like that evening, I could go to bed early and get, get 80, get eight hours. Not the case when you have kids or you're pregnant, right? Cause you're still pregnant the next night. So sleep really, really crucial. Um, if you are a member of sterlingparents.com, we, I have a, a lot of content, um, inside the site about sleep and pregnancy, because I think it's, you know, we know that especially at the end of pregnancy, that sleep deprivation can increase your risk of a postpartum mood or anxiety disorder. We know that, um, we've got some data, even that, you know, poor sleep at the end of the pregnant end of pregnancy can make your labor longer and, you know, decrease your chances of vaginal delivery. So I, there's a lot of content inside sterlingparents.com about how to um, troubleshoot your sleep and pregnancy and some best practices for how to really um, make sure that you're getting as much sleep as possible in pregnancy. Because the the idea that you're you're going to have undisturbed sleep is just, I mean, it's not going to happen. You're getting up to pee. It's uncomfortable. Um, you know, very few people report sleeping well through the night um, in pregnancy, particularly later on in pregnancy. All right, y'all. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this discussion of self-care. If you want to go a little bit deeper into these issues of um, self-care and stress relief in pregnancy, make sure you attend my free class, Four Ways to Make Your Pregnancy Easier and Healthier. You can register for that class at thebestpregnancyclass.com. Uh, make sure uh, if you register that you show up for the live session because we give away my pregnancy sleep guide, which is, you know, one of the most popular guides that I've ever made. Everybody loves it. I get so much good feedback about it. So I'm sharing that during the live sessions. In addition, we have a raffle that you can enter um, during the live sessions and we raffle off really cool stuff, pelvic floor trainers, baby gear, gift cards, good stuff. So this bestpregnancyclass.com is where you will find the registration for four ways to make your pregnancy easier and healthier. If you are a member of sterlingparents.com, stay tuned after the farewell because we're going to talk about anti-self-care in the bonus section of this episode. All right, lovelies, until next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Becoming Moms. If you are looking for more support from me during your pregnancy journey, head over to sterlingparents.com to learn more about our membership. The Sterling Parents membership now comes with a private Instagram account where members can send me direct messages 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Pregnancy is hard. You deserve support. Head over to sterlingparents.com to get the best support available for your pregnancy.